Initiative Podcast. We're in volume number seven, issue one ninety-eight. This is Vince, and I'm sitting with Matt. Hello, everyone, and Nick. Hi, everybody. We are back for another show. Uh, we're going to start things off right away by saying thank you for those that have written in and supported us all these years and given us suggestions and and you know some praise and some constructive criticism. We love that thing. Keep it up. RFI staff at gmail dot com. Like to thank the f- a bunch of people writing us in saying, "Can you put us on Google Play Podcasts?" Which we are now on. So if you Yay. are a an Android user, hop on over to Google Play Music. Look under the podcast. You'll find Roll for Initiative. Right there. We'll include a link just in case in our show notes. Matt, you can just throw that in there, a short link or something. Yeah, and yeah it will be there. So we can uh, have it there for you listeners who are Android fans that have been using whatever other app you've been using to listen to us, and we appreciate that because, uh, you know, we love you too. Just because you don't have an iPhone doesn't mean... Yeah. Yes. We appreciate your patronage. Yeah, exactly. Just because you have an iPhone doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, way to go. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I mean, that was Jason's whole thing. You don't have an iPhone too bad. <laughs> right. Wow. Yeah. Remember the, he old, did, uh... the original advertisement was an iPhone app? for. Uh, yeah. Remember that, Matt? At Gen Con, we yep. handed that out? Yeah, yeah, we had it, the iPhone app on uh, Libsyn. We had that. Yep. And then that. we uh, also had two separate feeds, one for AAC and one for MP3. The AAC was a great idea, and I'm really sorry that Apple dropped the ball on that because it was kind of right. cool the chaptering, but whatever. Right. The problem was the Android people. It didn't. Most podcast apps outside of Apple didn't really work with the chaptering. It so it just never got adapted, and a lot of people just never used it. <laughs> really? Yeah. But it. it I think our feed for that one wasn't really the most downloaded. It was just the main feed that most people went after. Right. MP3 was the most universally compatible yep. format, right. and that's what won. Oh, Sometimes wow. more features don't necessarily mean higher adoption rates. People that's fear a, change. Yeah. All right. Well, why don't we just uh, get right into what everybody's here for, and that's talking about 1E. So head into those table manners. Of all the evil creatures in the world, I had to find one with table manners. What are you kidding me? I spent years cultivating the worst table manners on the planet. Table manners. All right, everybody. Uh, this week in table manners, we're going to be covering something which is like the, one of the biggest bugaboos, probably for any dungeon master, and that's meta gaming. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> And what and how to prevent it if you can. 
So just to get the definition out out there in the open so everybody knows where we're going at, we have at least have a baseline. Metagaming is basically taking player knowledge for something in the campaign, in the game, and using it to their advantage to make it character knowledge, essentially. I think we can all agree upon that definition, right? Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense? Yes. So it's like, what do you do when you have players starting the metagame? It's like, and sometimes it's hard to differentiate between character knowledge and player knowledge. Some some players are real tricky about it. Um, and how can you be proactive as a DM to maybe prevent you know, metagaming going on in your in your campaign. And if you're one of those DMs, maybe you will allow it from time to time. I mean, what what do you do in that circumstance? And how does it affect your your whole game? How does it affect your campaign world? So there was actually another argument to this whole thing that was on Reddit uh, a couple weeks ago. It was uh-huh. uh, in the OSR gaming forums. It was something like em- how to embrace metagaming and, and it's a good tool for DMs. I'm like, really? No, it's not. <laughs> no, I disagree. The guy wrote a whole blog article supporting it and why his game is so much better because he allows it. And I didn't really like it. I, if I could find the link, I'll give it to you, Matt. But if you happen to Google foo that on OSR Reddit, uh, you can throw okay. that into the show notes so people could just see another side of this whole entire thing. But continue, Nick. Well, going along with that, Vane, I'll be I'll be right up from right up front and say I don't like it. No, no one really. I don't like that. metagaming because I think that's a, if there is a form of cheating, that's it. You know, yeah, it, it's something, and it's something I think that people do. I think for the most part, it maybe they're. I think most people do it in game, and they're not aware that they're doing it. Mm. I, I, I give, I give, I give most bene- people the benefit of the doubt, but there are times where people do use knowledge of the game world and the monsters in it, and and they use it to their advantage, even though there is no rhyme or reason why that character should have knowledge of it. I mean, I'll give a a. Uh, example of it you create a character say your character is i'll say a barbarian roar okay yes he's a he's a barbarian half we'll call him we'll call him thrud 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 the barbarian if anybody would red white dwarf in the (laughs) the day then you know who i'm talking about can i be a can i be a gnome barbarian sure (laughs) then i'll promptly kill him and make one according to the rules oh anyway well, so we have Thrud the Barbarian here, okay? And Thrud grew up in his village, and in his village, in the way up north, okay? Uh-huh. And he only has, and he is only knowledgeable of the local surrounding area, just the local geography. Maybe there's some, there's a, a mountain range, there's some forest, there's a tundra. Um, maybe there's some other, maybe a, a handful of villages around. Maybe not even he'd been to all of them. Uh, and maybe there's some legends, some myths, some areas that they're taboo not to go to. But outside of that, Thrud has no knowledge of anything outside of that world. He's maybe heard rumors, you know, or he's heard like just just hearsay from like far off travelers, but 
like Thrud's not going to have the integral knowledge of the inner workings of the city of Greyhawk and every single thing that goes on in there. No, that's not how it works. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's true. And and you could say that from any other character. If you have a character that was in a city, you know, they only know about really what's going on in their city for the most part. I mean, are they going to be extremely knowledgeable all about like on on far off lands? More than likely, no. It depends on what the type of character it is. I can maybe see for like a cleric or a magic user, they might be more knowledgeable on those things. But if you're a thief, probably not so much. You know, you only know the the inner workings of where you're at. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like it's like me living up here in Northeast Ohio. I mean, do I really what's knowing it, it, barring internet and all that crap? <laughs> I mean, but do I really know what goes on in the day-to-day in, like, in Chicago or New York City? Like, do I know where to go to get the best pizza, you know? Other than Googling it now. I mean, you know, I mean, you, you get what I'm saying. Right, yeah. That's where, and that's where I, I kind of, when I, like, just for me, when I make a campaign world, particularly the new campaign that we started about a year ago, it's like I only gave enough information to those characters that they would actually know about. That's it. That's all they know. I mean, and I I just draw... I, I just... When it comes to things like out-of-character knowledge, I just don't like it. I think that's going beyond the the spirit of the game. I think you're just gaming the system there and using it to your advantage. So that's just, that's part, I guess, in a nutshell, how I kind of look at it. So, um, so guys, I throw it out there. How do you kind of handle it and what are your thoughts on it? Well, so I guess start with you, Vince. Oh, okay. For metagaming, it's, it's really hard sometimes to run a campaign and prevent players from metagaming, like you said, but that's why I change a lot of things up, and I tell them right off the bat, metagaming is not going to help you. So if you know something about a creature, fine. Mm-hmm. You want to use it, fine, but it's not going to work because I'm changing everything around right off the bat. What you see in this book, right. sure, you may know it after all these years of 40-something years of looking at these books, but doesn't mean it's always going to be the same in my game. It, it may change from game to game because everything evolves in the world, so... Mm-hmm. But the metagame that I have run into in the past year is people like the blatant metagaming of, okay, so Nick, you and Matt are playing and Nick, you're scouting ahead. You walk into a room and I describe the room. Okay, so Nick in the room, you see this, this, this in the corner hidden in the back dark. You, Nick, you find out there is something over there with your infravision or whatever. You see that. Uh, Matt comes into the room playing a human and automatically charges full steam over into the corner to go attack a creature that he has no knowledge of being there, but only knows because I've told you. Yeah, that's another form of metagaming, all right. And that's what I've run into a lot of that. That, just players doing that. It's like they don't, I'm not sure if he, I should say the person's name, but I'm not sure if this person was doing it on purpose or they're just not realizing that they shouldn't know this information or, and I would say to them, as they're running into the room, how do you know that? What do you mean? Why well, I'm just attacking the creature. How do you know there's a creature there? Well, you said there was. I didn't say to you there was a creature there. I told Nick there was a creature there. So, Matt, knock it off. 
Okay. <laughs> but it's there. I want to poke into I want to stab the dark. Now, my question to you is, well, how did that person react? Uh, he just kind of looked at me and went, oh, okay. <laughs> and well, but then it, he realized, okay, yeah, you're right. You didn't say to yeah, me. But he, he didn't say it to him, but he got into the room. And so what I did was I played it off as if the creature moved and hid somewhere else. And Nick, your ah. character didn't know what happened to the creature because you lost sight of him. Ah. So what he did was he ran directly for that corner. Oh, I'm going to start searching this corner. I'm like, well, why are you searching that corner? He couldn't come up with a reason other than he wanted to search that corner. <laughs> right. It's one thing. Sometimes players can get a little uh, excited and when it comes to wanting to act. So therefore, they'll be like, oh, I go charge. Oh, that corner and kill the monster. But even when, but then you point out you wouldn't know that. And they're like, oh. But then if they start trying to, and that's okay. My, that doesn't bother me because it happens. Sometimes you're not necessarily having the split brain of this is what's being said at the table. But it, my character doesn't actually know this. Sometimes right. you, you can you can easily lose sight of that and be like, oh, oh yeah, you're right. Sorry. But when it comes to, okay, I know this now, I'm going to try to take advantage of it anyway. That's when it gets a little like, okay, now you're just trying to game the system. Yeah. Uh, like in that example, like I'm going to search that corner anyway. No, Okay, no, you're well, metagaming. Just admit it. Right. Another situation we were playing, the same guy, uh, one of the other characters was scouting ahead, and I was playing this time, not DMing, and he the other was four other people in this group besides me and DM. One of the other players obviously was scouting ahead, and he found uh, a monster spider in the in the the shrubs, well around the bend of the mountain, far off to the side. And we're coming around the bend, of, you know, because we hear her. So what does this player do? He decides to scale over the mountain, route himself around, and go exactly where the spider is hiding in the bush. <laughs> Even though he has no idea where this creature is, or even knows there's a creature there, but he was going directly for the spider. Because he knew exactly where it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the DM's like, well, how do you know that? He's just like, well, uh, I heard it. Well, how do you hear a spider? I heard her scream, there's a spider over here. Well, how do you know exactly where she is? And he just was dumbfounded on that. He just couldn't answer that. So we're just like, no. The whole group was just like, right. no, you don't know that's there. You're running with us. If you right. want to scale the mountain, sure, scale the mountain and run towards the direction of hearing the the fight, but you wouldn't know exactly where that spider is. Right. So Right. I could be I could see saying like, Oh, you heard the scream and fight and you want to make some sort of like a wisdom check or something to try to see if you can kinda of get a more specific area of where it might be and you could be like, Well, you know, if you go over the mountain, you could probably be kinda of close. I could see something like that. But not heading exactly towards the spot without putting a little more effort into trying to determine the spot. Uh, I'll even get into it further so you understand this guy's mindset. Another situation was that we were chasing after a villain. He wound up getting the best of us and then ran off. He ran and into the forest, on the map, into a certain area that he hid. We all can see it as players, but as characters we wouldn't know. So we were all searching in different directions and trying to find our way there. He beelines directly to where the where the NPC is hiding and decides to attack right that, that bush. And we're like, well, explain oh, how would you attack that? Well, I, I followed his trail. Okay, roll to follow his trail for a track. I don't have that skill. Okay. 
Like wisdom check. Right. Wisdom right. check. Fails. You did not follow that trail. It's not fair. <laughs> I, yeah. How... I guess one of my question is when the NPC went to hide, how, how was it... How did they even know where he hid? How, was it due to the use of miniatures on the table? Yeah, or? miniatures on the table. Yeah, correct. I, I guess when it comes to that sort of thing... I'm not above removing things. Like if it's out of sight, that I take that thing off the table. Yeah, that's I what wouldn't. I would normally do, but the 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 GM did not do that, so she uh, left it on the table. Yeah, it, like when I was running Castle Ravenloft, I actually made cardstock and made a cardstock uh, Castle Ravenloft, the 3D train and everything from Fat Drag. I printed it out, so uh-huh. I'm actually building the castles. They go room to room, but as they uh-huh. and they leave a room, I take it off the table. Yeah, that's a good idea. So that way they can they see what they see and what they don't see, they're not seeing. So that way you can avoid that. Because who knows? Maybe by random chance they could stumble upon the villain, the the hiding NPC just by happenstance. And but by leaving that miniature on the table, you remove the chance of the happenstance because some players will actively avoid going there to be accused of metagaming. And then others will try to metagame and try to head there. So, so it's it, like you were kind of introducing the like the fog of war effect from from roll twenty in a way. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. I love that feature of roll twenty. That just mm-hmm. makes it so much better when they're right. trying to go through a dungeon and they literally they do not know what's ahead of them, even though it's being mapped out. They right. only know like how far their infravision takes them or how far that tar- torchlight goes. Right. So. Yeah, especially considering when I was doing this, they also had a portable hole, so they were walking through walls. Oh, jeez. <sighs> so, which gets really interesting when you get into circular spires in Castle Ravenloft. Yeah. So they were jumping all over the place, and it was the it was actually the easiest way for me also just to run to this, since I decided, hey, I made all this stuff. I want to have a big climax. So, well, you just jumped into a narrow spire spiral staircase okay so take everything off here the stairs right oh yeah although there was some of that too it was like um yeah you put it there you look through you're like oh that's a pit mm-hmm. <laughs> um one one question and i i got to you guys is what do you think is the most common form of metagaming i think it's monster knowledge yeah yeah i, I would think say that's probably the most common to run into and that's also, I think, the easiest to inadvertently do. Yeah. And then, but some of that for like your more common monsters, I could even let slide in a game because right. if you live in this world and these are common creatures, you probably know a thing or two about them. Like, like heard the stories, or right. goblins. Now, right. some of the more uncommon things, like like ghouls, yeah, or um. I don't know, a a coffer corpse or something. Right. Um I've I've introduced a mechanic a while ago to kind of combat that a little, I guess. If you like using a game mechanic to maybe roll with it, literally. It's I just call it it's like identify monster. And what I did is you take the you take the uh, and you could set. You already pre-arranged this with your character. 
basically you add your character's intelligence and wisdom and you divide it by two. And then if depending on your class, you get a modifier. Like if you're a magic user or illusionist, you multiply that by 1.5 your level. Um, barbarian rangers and druids, you get two times your level. And other than that, you just add your level. That's like your base identify monster skill. So when you go up against a monster that's kind of, um, uh, not, you know, rare, not so common, then you take your that skill, and then that's modified by like how frequent it is. You do a percentile roll. If you get it, you identify what the monster is, and you pick a few traits maybe that they might know of. Like say, for example, like a ghoul, and. Uh, let's say the the thief runs up against a ghoul. He was able to identify it by his skill. Then you say, okay, you know it's a ghoul, um, and they are affected by um, by holy water, and they are um, they can um, they can maybe be turned <laughs> or something like that. Just throwing it out there, but that's one thing I kind of I've used in the past. To kind of take away from maybe the metagaming aspect so much, I mean, I I try and and this is so hard because if you have veteran players, it's so hard to try to keep it so fresh and new for them. Particularly if they're not they're not good role playing into their character, they're so used to just you know playing by the by the mechanics and all that. So I, that's one way to try to keep some sort of surprise and anticipation into the game. So that's one thing to try out, I guess. Hmm. Yeah. Having that sort of skill for your player characters. Right. I could even see when it comes to like some of the various forms of like the incorporal undead, you (laughs) might not even know exactly which one it is, but you could be like, you think it's either this, this or this, but Mm -hmm. you're not sure. Yep. Could be it's like it could be a, a a specter, but it could be a ghost. You don't know, right? <laughs> it, so that yeah, the, and I think a lot of it comes into the way you describe it. If you describe mm-hmm. a creature in a way that it could be a couple different things that have different approaches to combat, yep, that's also a way to get around the metagaming. Right, take advantage of Im- the imperfect knowledge the characters would have. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't necessarily, like, if they see are doing combat with, like, some orcs or goblins or whatever in, like, a dark forest, they may not know exactly which race it is if they can't actually see them clearly. You you start describing yeah. the size, the shadows, the little features that they can pick out, mm-hmm. but it's not perfect detail. It's once you start giving them the perfect detail, that's right, when right. it's easier for them to metagame because they know, oh, I know 100% accuracy that it is this creature. Right. And that just takes away the fun and wonderment at all. The best role players are the ones where they can, they understand that, you know, like if you're playing a first level character or first through third level character, low level, from that, from there on, their knowledge of the world is very limited and if they understand that going into the game world i guess that if we're talking about ways to combat metagaming if you lay that out at the very beginning of a campaign i think that 
really um, that uh, that really uh, takes a lot of the metagaming stuff out of the equation. It's like you got sometimes you have to be right up front with the players and say, okay, the, your first level characters, remember, keep in mind, even though you as a player know everything about this game system, your character only knows this little amount of knowledge of where they're from and this much about the game world, and that's it. And you have to keep that in mind. If you, I think that if you're right up front with that, with the players, that'll go a long way. Right. I think having the ex just in- reinforcing the expectations of what their character's place in the world is that mm-hmm. they're not this well-traveled scene at all unless right. maybe that's part of their backstory is that they a kind of are but that's more mm-hmm. of us that they have traveled to all these places but then there's a whole different story adventure being planned at that point because, mm-hmm. like, when it comes to the undead and stuff, I would say your cleric is going to have a better chance of being able to properly identify. Because part of their training, I think, would be to know these are sure. the undead. So at that sure. point, I'm like, if a cleric says, like, oh, is able to identify that, I'm like, okay, that I can explain that. And just, like, if um, depending on where in the world it is, maybe one of the fighters has dealt with orcs or goblins or whatever a lot because they've raided like the village they lived in Mm -hmm. so therefore they know more about their type of tactics and what they do there's ways to even work in a little bit of that knowledge into the backstory of the characters so Mm -hmm. they can use that player knowledge and not actually have it being metagaming and I think that's really what it all comes down to is Mm -hmm. just I you're are you try? Are you playing it like a tabletop where, uh, where there's a winner and a loser, and at which point that's where the metagaming runs mm-hmm. wild because yeah. that helps you win. Whereas if you're going more for the, just this uh, cooperative storytelling immersive experience, then that metagaming can actually take away, and you could actually, I think, create some better moments when you go against the what's the most uh, effective means to deal with something and go with what your character would do. Sometimes right. there's more fun failing than there is succeeding. And I think if players realize that you can have more fun having wacky things or just these bizarre things happen that create these memorable stories and oh yeah we slaughtered that group of orcs no problem as opposed to well we got ambushed and then we tried doing this, but that was a horrible idea because they had prepared this trap and mm-hmm. you get a better story through losing sometime. Right. And, and like with limited character knowledge, even though you might have quote unquote masses amount of player knowledge, if those people again, know how to differentiate between the two and play their character as they should, keeping that in mind that when those situations come up like you said like when they encounter uh a a band of i don't know um kobolds yeah they encounter a band of kobolds um you know they maybe you have a character you know or they've never encountered them they maybe have heard of them but they're not sure what they are you know those um, 
those sorts of encounters will build up some suspense, some tension. Mm-hmm. Like I, I again, I like using the one about you know about the ghouls. You know, it's like you go into a graveyard, and you know you maybe half the party has never encountered ghouls or ghasts before. They don't know what they are. They don't know how to combat them. So it's like, what do you do? That's part of the tension. That's part of the excitement of it is getting into these situations, trying to figure your way out of it as your character, not as a player. Right. And then in the instance of the ghouls, would the players even be able to determine the difference between, say, a zombie and a ghoul? I mean, really? Uh, uh, A dead corpse walking is a dead corpse. How are you going to distinguish the two? Other than one's slightly more uh, deformed. Just like, there's like, oh, that that could be a fresh one. That one's been dead a while. How are they Mm -hmm. even going to know? And if you de- and if you describe it in such a manner as opposed to saying you see a bunch of zombies, if you do that with all your monsters, put in more of a descriptive as opposed to just flat out saying like, "Oh, this is what it is." You can throw in things like ghouls, and they might misidentify them. Mm-hmm. I like doing the thing where uh, intelligent creatures, intelligent monsters, portraying themselves as something else. <laughs> that's always a good one to throw at your parties yeah um like what's the old example tucker's cobalts yes you know didn't they didn't there wasn't there a situation where they had the tupper tucker cobalts are in a corridor and they're trying to and they portrayed themselves like this whole elaborate with all the effects and everything that the party thinks that they're encountering a dragon so <laughs> <laughs> You know, so that's another way you could kind of get around it. Oh, my God, it's a dragon. We got to get out of here, man. (laughs) No, not it. Right. You know, stuff like that. There's ways around it being clever as a DM. So. I don't know. Is what else do you think? Is there anything else as far as like metagaming, how to. How to get around it or how to deal with it in your game? I think we pretty much covered it. I think so. Yeah, so, I really do. Because, I mean, really, the biggest thing to avoid metagaming is have the social agreement between everyone involved yep. that we're going to try to avoid it. Right. And if you're so, called out for it, don't argue. Just, you know. Right. If the whole entire group is like, yeah, dude, you're metagaming, you got to be like, okay, mm-hmm. dude, sorry. Yeah. We always right. say, hey, that's player knowledge. That's player knowledge. And. And there, and everybody's like, "Oh yeah, you're right. Damn, I'm sorry." Right. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. People are apologetic about it, unless they were really trying to be conniving about right. it. Right. Yeah, sorry. unless you're playing a game like Top Secret, where it actually says player knowledge is character knowledge, just right. when it comes to like technical skills or something. Well, that's yeah, that's just a whole different thing. <laughs> yeah, different game, different beast. Yes, yes. it is. So with that, and uh, with that being said, from all of us, um, put it out there to our listeners what do you do with metagaming how do you deal with it and um let us know just you know write in go to itunes maybe drop us a line there and and um let us know how you deal with metagaming how you prevent it and um so with that being said i guess let's move on to our next segment the treasure chest (laughs) 
You have opened the treasure chest. You may choose an item. Treasure chest. What are we going to do? So I'm pulling out another item from my book. This is a kind of a pretty cool item that my players enjoyed when we first pulled this out of the book from a long time ago. It's called the Magic Cart. So the magic card is worth a thousand gold in value, and the XP is about five hundred. This item appears to be a small miniature cart and can fit in the size of a, the palm of a normal human. To use this item, the owner, owner must place it on the ground, tap it once, and then proclaim a direction or a destination of the travel known to the owner. Now, of course, known to the owner means like the rider, meaning like a town or location, not like "take me to the lost city of Zandu." That you have no idea where that is. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> Because, you know, players will be like, hmm, take me that to... That would be like artifact level. <laughs> yeah. Take right. me to the MacGuffin item of this campaign. Okay, campaign over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Once that is said and complete, the cart will grow in size to that of a cart that will hold four average-sized humans and move forward at a normal one-horse pace once the driver or the owner instructs it to move. So basically, you know, yeah, whatever, move forward, whatever you want to, you guys decide it is. The cart can be controlled by the owner or driver by mimicking that he is holding the tethers of the ropes, directing the cart as it, as he so pleases. Should the riders in the cart have a long journey, the cart will progress forward as the riders sleep. Now, at this yeah. point, it's up to the DM to decide, I mean, will the cart act like the horses are just moving forward and not <laughs> just go into the water? I mean, will it follow the road? It's kind of up to a DM at this point. Right. Right. I kind of like this item because it it gives the DM a chance to allow the players to rest. Maybe somebody stay on watch while the cart advances the story a little bit faster. And once you have this item, it's kind of cool. I mean, yeah, no, I, I like this. It, as you were saying, it it gets around some of the, well, we got to camp. We got to have a watch. We got to, it lets you speed things up. And, Having the nice little autopilot cart is horribly handy, and you don't have to worry about feeding horses and all the uh, equine care. It, it looks yeah. a little strange, but, you know. Right. Uh, and I could absolutely see the, all the players be like, eh, let's all just rest at once on this, at which point they could easily get uh, carjacked or cart jacked. Yeah, cart jacked. Well, my, my players knew better, and they did not do that. One person was always awake because they're always yeah. so afraid that someone will attack them. So, yeah, um, I got a question: if if like if you're attacked while in this cart, can you increase the pace of it? Yeah, the the pace can be moved forward to mimic a horse as far as uh, really fast, really slow. Okay, uh, a trot like a really just okay. small pace. It it okay, basically cool. it mimics the horse in every way, except you don't have to worry about feeding or you know letting it rest or water or letting it poop, whatever a horse wants to do. Right. So I, and the smell's gone too. Yeah. And I do like how the requirement is it must be placed on the ground. So that way someone can't come up to you and tap your little cart while you're still holding it and have a cart fall (laughs) on you. That would be hilarious. That would be funny. Yeah. (laughs) Now the thing is you can decide as well. Oh God, I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Back pains. The one thing you can decide as a DM as well is when it gets to the destination, does it just bloop, shrink into a small little cart or do you wait till the players get off? I mean, the characters get off the cart because that'd be kind of funny. It gets there and all of a sudden bloop, everybody's stuck in this little size cart dead. Or they all, or they all like flop well, out of it when it shrinks. Well, 
Now my question, though, is what if the player, or the character, thinks they know where something is, and they say, take me to this, and it's actually not there? What does the cart do? Yeah, that's up to uh, a DM. It's kind of a DM fiat thing. I mean, it's supposed to work on, okay, this is the direction you want it to go. It'll go that direction. Yeah. If it doesn't happen to be there, it's not there. <laughs> okay. Take two. I think I know the Temple of Elemental Evil is here. Well, that's what I would, as a DM, I would say, okay, if you think it's there... That's yeah. where you're going. It might right. not be the right spot. It's <laughs> right. It's basically all, I, to mimic the whole entire horse cart thing, but allow you to put it in your pocket and use it as you need it. Yeah. I I almost started thinking, what if you had some like bad GP uh, magic GPS? So Apple's <laughs> first GPS. <laughs> yes, it, it, it'll they take you there, but it doesn't take the most direct route. Or it takes <laughs> the most direct route through the water. You know. Right. Speaking of that, this is a great item if you need to travel underwater you know it would work right you'd just travel across the floor of the lake or the river or the ocean or whatever uh sure yeah you're the yeah, DM. why not yeah Have right yeah if cool. you had a way to make a little dome so you guys could breathe underwater. water breathing rings or, or if you had rings of water breathing armor doesn't yeah. rust you know <laughs> right yeah it's a no, magic card yeah bag of yeah. holding that's where you put all your stuff in yeah Put the bag of holding over your head. There you go. <laughs> or, or, yeah, that'll work. Ten minutes of air, bro, man. Ten minutes of air. Just wait until you find a ravine in, that, like, that's 200 feet deep in this lake that you didn't know about. Whoops. You know what? I just saw a way that you could use this on a water. You, if you're smart enough. Tell us. Because the cart has wheels. Uh-huh. You make some sort of contraption. You've cured it. That you... You have the wheels going to some sort of contraption, like a, a like, and with a propeller or something like that. You know, so it's a submarine. No, not a submarine. <laughs> like you're on a uh, like a pontoon. Yeah. Oh, so it's so, a, a pontoon. Got it. Okay. So, so you put like the pontoon things on the side of the cart. Uh huh. Yeah. And then you, you do that. And, and then you put uh, yeah, get a little propeller. put paddles on the wheels, and there you go. <laughs> 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 And then you get to the other side of the lake, and it just becomes a small miniature cart, and you go plunk into the water. Yeah, I'm just no, thinking it's like the like the part, Evil Dead car or something like that. It just tosses you out. It's when Christine, you get <laughs> yeah, Christine, yeah. it just tosses you out. Oh, you could make an evil version of this. I wonder how though. <laughs> I'm sure you could do a lot more than that with this. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, something that I've used in my games. It's in my little red book of uh, magical items that I have. So and it is. It's a cool item. I like it. Yeah, as, as time goes on, I'll, I'll keep like throwing things out just for fun. You know, people like to see yeah. these little homemade items, and they're kind of fun. Some of them. So yeah, I like it. I'm gonna borrow it. No, copyright. Okay. <laughs> All right. Here's a dollar. Sweet. Let's head into uh, the creature feature now. Are you saying that I put an abnormal brain? Into a seven and a half foot long creature feature theater. All right, and now in the creature feature, I decided to. uh, I've got on my shelf lots of different 
various old school products. Some of them I bought, but I've never actually opened. And the creature this week is from one of them because I actually found the uh, Invincible Overlord supplement by Mayfair. They did one for Briarwood Castle, the castle in it. Uh, in the city, say Invincible Overlord, they did a complete box set on just the castle. Yep. And they had this one creature, and I just found absolutely bizarre and almost Cthulian. That yeah. I, just, I saw, I'm like, huh? How to use this thing? Because when you look at it, it's basically a brain that has a beak <sighs> with tentacles coming from the bottom of it. It looks like the Grell from the Fiend Folio. Almost. Yeah, actually, it does. This it's like would be if you come across it, it's like the thing of nightmares, and then you yeah. find out what it actually does, and it and, and it really is a nightmare. <laughs> it really is because this thing it's very rare. Fortunately, what yeah. it does is you come across it. Its tentacles will umbrella out, and it starts spinning. The brain spins one direction. The tentacles start spinning the other. And then after two rounds, the tentacles come and start sticking suction cups on you. Yeah. And starts draining intelligence because that's what it feeds off of. It feeds off the brains and the intelligence of people. And any character hit by one of these suction cups, you have this effect table that's a full page of just insanity. And then there's also a chance nothing happens, but it's... very random you get some things are good one of them you can gain experience points it's like some, hey gain. and some of these things are physical effects right like you can grow a second head yeah randomly change like your a little pal right your <sighs> nose can grow um you can gain stats lose stats your eyes will glow you can become a vampire change you can die can turn green yeah so- i mean it you can like get X-ray vision. Wait, you dispel what? magic at touch. Change your character class. Change your character race. Mm. Right, kleptomania. Uh. Random alignment change. All metal touch turns the glass. You, uh, if you roll fifty, that's the best one. No effect. <laughs> well, actually, it's all, no effects on there. A few times, it's also ninety-eight. Yeah, um, there's a few times the Midas touch. Everything. You get heal spell. I mean, some you'll gain weight. I love the I love the turn to glass one. Yeah, yeah that is pretty cool. Death. <laughs> one of them. Just, uh, uh, dead bodies rise and follow you within a ten foot radius. Constantly. Yeah, I guess. Yes. So. Oh my god, it's just weird. Right. Oh, did you mention what this thing is called? The called thought the- slinger. The thought slinger. And fortunately, all of these things can be cured, but most. it's most of them. Uh, uh, some of the more permanent, like death, would be a little difficult. Yeah. But the way you cure it, one, you have to kill a thought slinger. Not the one that gave you it, just a thought slinger. And then you have to wear its beak. Yeah. It's Killing it's not enough. You actually have to wear the beak. What the? <sighs> This is like, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know why it exists because it gives no ecology whatsoever. I tried fi- figuring out ecology for it. Mm-hmm. No. I couldn't find anything. So Don't worry about ecology, a lot of this stuff. It just exists because 
it exists. Did so this table? Right. This table. Did someone actually draw the outline to that, or is that just the way it came? Or that is actually a scan from the book. I scanned the book for the page that we're looking at, and that was actually that wavy. So I think they were going for that parchment look. I think so too. Yeah. No. Oh, okay. There's one thing you can get. You can become a Lanthrocorp. Uh, You're suddenly a werewolf. Okay. Yeah. Oh, shrink and grow. Summon a random demon. Hey. Poof. Nice. I could even see if a pl- if one of these were to latch onto a player and they get the good effect, I could see the other players trying to lunge into it to get the same effect. Because that's the net thing of this. It can trick you into thinking, oh, it's sucking my brain is good. Yeah, and also the fact that it's really good at detecting where there's magic user types around. It really is drawn to them. Right. That's one of its special abilities. Right. Because they know they have high intelligence. Yeah, and and it also moves silently. It has a 50% chance of surprising you when first encountered because it moves so quietly. This thing was built to destroy magic users. Yes, and it has a 20% uh, magic resistance as well. Because why not? Not only it's regular saving throw, you have 20% uh, 20 magic resistance to get by. Right, and it has an AC of 2 unless you can get to its soft underbelly, which is a 9. It's what, got 10 to 12 hit dice? Yeah. Yeah. And it is of low intelligence, and it says it actually... Because when you read it, it says it consumes the brain and gains 1d4 points of intelligence. So that means over time, that low intelligence would get smarter. Yeah, it goes from low to average. Right. But with that 1d4 intelligence, would you also be subtracting it from the player? Because it doesn't actually say to subtract it from the player, but I would almost say it would. As in, it also would do the 1d4 minus to your intelligence. Otherwise, unless, I, would, um, I would. That's how I interpret it. It's yeah. adding its intelligence by subtracting yours. Right. That's why it's going after magic users mostly. Right. Oh, thank it you. It's the magic user, but it's sucking levels of spells away from the magic user. And it also, uh, if it absorbs a magic user, it, it also absorbs the spells they know. So it now has the ability to use those. Yeah. So we're so it's like low intelligence that is on the scale I'm looking here. Low is five to um, seven. So we'll just say it's on the the low end of that. So we'll say it's it starts at five. Okay. Right. So you roll a d four. Say you roll three. So it goes up to eight. So you go from low to average. <laughs> yeah. And then it sucks another, let's say another three points. It goes from average to very. <laughs> yeah, you could easily have one of these running around as a super genius, and that's kind yeah. of scary. Yeah. Uh, I, would, I, I would say that, yeah, it says intelligence and low. Who's to say that, I think what you're thinking, Matt, is like, who's to say you haven't run into one that's already sucked up a lot of intelligence from multiple creatures? Right. It could you could be godlike even, intelligence for all you know. Right. You could have this. Just imagine if this was somewhere 
hidden somewhere in like a town and all these weird things are happening. Like you just start having NPCs roll, have a bunch of NPCs and just roll on that table for the different effects. Mm-hmm. And the players come across this town and it, it's kind of the thought slinger set up. This is its home. And then next thing you know, you have these people with like two heads and just all oh, wait a I just thought of something that is so devious. <laughs> You'll love this. Let's say they, it starts off at low intelligence, okay? Mm-hmm. Let's say it goes all the way up to hmm, genius. All right. It sucks intelligence all the way. Once it reaches genius level, it splits off into three different, three new thought slingers of low intelligence. That's how it reproduces. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> wow. Or something to that effect. It reaches yeah. a certain intelligence threshold. Its brain can't contain it and it spawns off. It spawns off another one. Oh. <laughs> oh. oh, I just made it even more nasty. Yay. Yeah. I, I can what even mean there's another one. <laughs> it just sucked up all of your intelligence and you see it like splits open and uh, another one just comes out. What? <laughs> yeah. I could also see the players get like something horror like say like a nobility's daughter grows a second head or something. <laughs> and then the players get sent you gotta go find this thing, kill it, get the beak, because you could also Grind the beak up and make a potion out of it. And that'll oh, really? modify the effect as well. Yes. Where is that under? It's actually... Um, I missed that. Yeah. For characters hit more than once... Uh, oh, well, that's if you get hit more than once, the yeah. effect's negated is random. But if a, uh, yeah, if a character hit by a suction cup goes any sort of alteration, that alteration can be negative, negated if the character kills a Thought Slinger, not necessarily the one causing the effect... And then wears its beak for a period of 1d6 rounds. Okay. And then there is also a line about a potion. Uh, additionally, magic users can grind up Slinger's beaks to create a potion having the same effect. Yeah. So huh. you, this could even be like you need like fetch the rare uh, ingredient to cure something. Wow. But, yeah, the, the, this is something that, yeah, your players are going to have a little issue metagaming on just because I doubt most of them have read the box set from the the supplemental box set from the Mayfair City State of the Invincible Overlord. Because mm-hmm. I even did some, like, Googling on, like, Thought Slinger. I was finding nothing on this outside of just, hey, it was mentioned in this box set. So... Sometimes if you want to surprise your players, just go. There's so much like more obscure products. You could just throw stuff from those and they won't have any idea what's going on, especially when they have a giant random like D100 table. Yeah, this this like this random like mutation effect thing, whatever it is. I don't know what you want to call it. It's like chaos magic effect, I guess. Really? Right. Because if you're going to get thing alignment, I would say chaotic evil. Yeah, yeah. It was like you want them like randomly teleport, age, character, 
gets you become dumb astral. <laughs> you you go comatose for like two d twelve days. I mean, it's very random. It's a very interesting table if you just want like chaos magic, like you said. If yeah. you just need anything for just random goofy effects, yeah. this is a great table. Well, I'm just like looking at it and like where it says like uh, dispel magic touch. I would assume that's permanent. Yeah. Wow. It is. So you can never hold a magic item. Hey, drink this. Pu- oh, whoops. <laughs> you, you will never be healed again. By magical means. Yeah. Aww. Crazy. Yeah. But yeah, definitely something that will give your players nightmares. Oh, I just saw. You can contract leprosy. Fun times. <laughs> That's the least of your concerns when you roll on this table. Right. But yeah. Cool uh, monster. I like yeah, it. Yeah, it is. This, this was one when I saw I'm just like, this is so just... Unlike I might have to it. introduce this into my current campaign. It's just so nasty. Yeah. It, I'm gonna, yeah. I'm going to have to bury this pretty deep in the dungeon. Why? Well, this, this would be like something you, instead of having the beholder, you have this. Oh, yeah. yeah. Imagine a fight between this and a beholder. Oh. Ooh. Ooh. You stumble upon both of them. Just imagine if what would happen to the beholder if it got hit with one of those tentacles. Oh, jeez. <laughs> You know, oh. I could actually see these things being like, like, like the natural enemies to like mind flayers. Yeah, I, I'm now you envisioning know? like the whole mind flayer versus beholder versus thought slinger, like underground mob feud. They each have their own little organizations and they're battling each other. Mm. And that's how they maintain and that's how they keep from taking over the world. Is because they're battling each other. Oh, jeez, that'd be perfect. Yes, but yeah, what a great monster! I like it. Yeah, so maybe we should see what people think about it. We'll throw it up on the website, and uh, people can give it a read and tell us how they would probably use it in their game. Might be Absolutely, good. I'd love Absolutely. to hear ideas for it because it's a cool creature that we can use. Mm-hmm. Good find, Matt. You get a cookie. Woohoo! I was going to give him 100 experience points, but hey. No, I'll take that, too. <laughs> Don't get Wait greedy. Wait a minute. What's the XP? Well, no, I need to know. What's the XP value of a cookie? Uh, 200 experience points. Okay, wow. I will take That's the That's one cookie. heck of a cookie. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really good cookie. But the 100 experience points that Nick gave you comes from Nick's personal experience, so Nick actually loses 100 experience points. So. Hey. Only I can award experience points out. <laughs> yeah. I'll give you 50 Electrum. Oh. <laughs> Nobody yeah, wants it. He does that. have the stockpile of Electrum. I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you and Mr. Gygax are the only people that use Electrum, apparently. So, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> All right. With that said, uh, that's going to wrap up the show this week. Hopefully, everybody had a wonderful time listening to this and got some valuable information. Uh, if you did or didn't, let us know. RFI staff at Would gmail. Did you say they had a plethora? A plethora of information, yes. See? Okay. Keep it real, keep it old school. Good night. Good night. Bye. The Roll Furniture Podcast is part of the Wild Games Productions Network and produced for entertainment purposes only. All other uses are prohibited. If you'd like to contact us, go to rfipodcast.com, click on contact us, or email us at rfistaff at gmail.com. Voicemail line 5708654210. Facebook.com slash rfipodcast for more.